Uh, hi, everyone. Um, this is Tyler here. Uh, quick info before we dive in. This is going to be a slightly different format uh, from normal. You may have heard um, previously we did an interview where Rick interviewed me. Uh, the point was to kind of give a little context so that when you're listening to our other podcasts, you kind of understand our background and where we're coming from. Uh, so we're not going to do this every time, but this time I'm going to interview Rick. You're going to learn about Rick's story so that you'll have a little more context going forward. So, okay, with that, let's get started. Welcome to Startup to Last, a podcast about building profitable software businesses that are meant to last. Today, we're going to do an interview with Rick on his current ventures. Hi, I'm Tyler. I run a bootstrap SaaS company called Less Annoying CRM. And I'm Rick. I'm the founder of Leg Up Ventures, which owns and operates software companies that empower underdogs. Cool. So I'm, I'm playing the interviewer here. So let's uh, just start. We're going to kind of go through the story and we're, we're going to get to where you are right now. But can you just kind of give a little background on how you got into the startup space, entrepreneurship in general? Well, um, you know, it, I guess I've always I, I do kind of have that story of always being a little entrepreneurial. Mm -hmm. um, I don't I did. I had lemonade stands. You did. I, I had, what, uh, what age was your very first venture? four or five. Yeah. I did the lemonade stands. I took it very seriously. I was, I mowed, uh, grass. Um, I, I tried a lot of different things and you know, that I always thought about it. I read business books when I was in high school, mm. entrepreneurial books. Um, I always knew that was what I wanted to do, but I didn't know what my path was. And I, you know, I thought it was something that, um, the story I like to tell is my dad was a lawyer. Uh, which is kind of a, a sole proprietor in a way. You're a partner in a law firm and you actually do have to produce for yourself. Yeah. Um, so there was definitely, and then my grandfather owned a hardware store in, uh, in a, you know, Ace Hardware Store, True Value Hardware Store. So there, and, and so that was, I, I witnessed a lot of entrepreneurship um, growing up, but my dad always hated his job. Mm. He had to fight for it with, he's a litigator. And he always had to fight with people for a living. So I was really scared to go to, to start working because I thought I'd hate my life. I thought that's what everyone did. So, um, I, so I, I was born in North Carolina. I, my parents got divorced at a young age. Uh, and so I moved all around North Carolina. I think I lived in like 17 different houses. Wow. I never had like that one house. In fact, parks living in Utah, this park city area, it's the longest time I've ever lived anywhere. Hmm. Um, and so, but anyway, I, I, I ended up, um, going to uh, Duke for college. I graduated in 2007 and the, uh, I had no idea what I wanted to do. Well, l l let me stop you for a second. So yeah. what did you major in it? Uh, economics and computer science. So you knew you had an entrepreneurial spirit before college. Did that inform what you majored in or anything like that? Yeah. And, uh, one thing that I think you'll learn about me is I generally am open to anything, but once I form an opinion about it, I, I form a pretty strong opinion about it. So, um, I actually, uh, was, I did not declare a major until my sophomore year, end of sophomore year. I took every one of just about every one one course at Duke, <laughs> including political science and, uh, dropped that. Like I dropped that class like midway through and had a real big blow up with the professor. Um, <laughs> I hate political science classes as a result. They're too political. Um, so anyway, <laughs> who uh, yeah, who would have thought? So um, I, you know, I, I knew that I was interested in economics. I knew I was interested in computer science. So I, those were my first two, if I had declared freshman year, but I wanted to see what was out there. And then they were the most practical, you know, one was learning about how money works and the other, uh, and, and people work. And 
markets work. And the other was, you know, how to build things, mm -hmm. I thought. And then I realized computer science was actually a bunch of theory and bullshit. And we did like, I think I had two programming classes and they're my absolute favorite classes at Duke. Yeah. I mean, all, all college professors are theorists, right? So in a sense, like every major is theory. Yeah. Anyway. Uh, cool. So, so yeah. You... Yeah. So I did a lot in college. I wrestled. I, uh, I was in a frat. Um, it was an atypical frat, but still a frat. I did student government. I did, I did a lot of different stuff. Um, I, uh, I, by the time I uh, graduated, I was pretty burnt out. Um, and so I remember everyone was doing the investment banking interviews and I went through a couple of those and I was like, I cannot do this. I cannot move to New York and work with these, with these guys. I, I need a break. Mm -hmm. So I decided to move out to Park City to ski bum, called my dad. Uh, he basically said, that's cool as long as you're off the payroll. So, um, I, I think he gave me till July to move out and, uh, basically just came out here expecting a ski bum. Unlike you, who you came for the, a job. a job. I'd never heard of park city, nor had I ever skied yeah. before, but you, yeah. you knew what you wanted to do here. Yeah. So my grandfather bought a condo out of bankruptcy, like in the eighties, uh, with a, with an ownership group. And so we always came out here for a week to ski. So I was very familiar with the area and I always heard my dad and my grandfather and people talking like, I wish I'd taken a year off to go ski bumming. Hmm. So I called him out on that and I took advantage of it. <laughs> but I got out here, I carpet clean in the mornings um, for a carpet cleaning company locally. And then I was a bellman at a hotel called Park City Hotel. And then sometime in you know November, I got here in July and you know some sometime in maybe November that year, uh, I met a headhunter who was recruiting for this startup called Zane Benefits. Uh, they just raised a $3 million series A and the person I was driving this person around or so, something like, you know, like, what are you doing? <laughs> you have a Duke degree and you're carpet cleaning and driving people around. I said, yeah, I'm serious about ski bumming. And, uh, so anyway, I, I ended up taking a job there cause I got really interested in the problem and I came on as an entry level sales rep. And that was my first professional, what I would call my professional, first professional job. Yeah, because you didn't do internships or anything like that, right? My internships, so one in, one summer I went to Poland to wrestle with the Olympic team. Uh, that was cool. Uh, one summer I worked in a factory where I had to wear a clean suit and worked, you know, basically got minimum wage for a shift. So it was like I did internships, but they were different. Yeah, not like knowledge worker. Yeah, not knowledge stuff. worker, exactly. Yeah. So anyway, I, I, get, I, I joined the company and within... By the, when I interviewed, uh, the founder was the running the company and there was a COO. And when I actually started, it was like a month and a half in between that. Um, the founder had been fired, replaced, and and uh, the COO had been asked to leave as well, or I don't know exactly what happened. And no one told me. So I show up and there's a new CEO, there's a new management team, and I just start working. Um, ended up being the best decision of my life because I got to see this startup unfold um, under a venture capital scenario. Uh, as you as you mentioned in your interview, yeah. Assuming we put mine out before yours, yeah, yeah. We're, since we both worked at Zane Benefits, there's a little overlap here. But why don't yeah. you rehash it again? Yeah. So, um, uh, the company, uh, 2007, raised three million in July or so, and then fast forward 18 months, which is typical horizon for uh, runway for a raise like that. Um, the company's out of money and. <laughs> It just so happens that the stock market crashes in October 2008. And as a result of that, um, the founder shows back up. I think we had about 25, 30 employees. And basically everyone but five of us uh, got fired. We got I, I got my first lesson on how not to fire people. Oh, uh, yikes. Yeah. That was terrible. Yeah. So founder shows back up. 
and he's a great guy. He's my, he's, 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 it's a love him, hate him kind of guy. I'm a lover. Um, he's my mentor. He taught me a lot. He, I mean, he's gave us our opportunities. Yeah. We would not be in the positions that we are without him creating zine benefits. He, his style has a potential to rub some people the wrong way. A lot of people the wrong way, he Put uh, 30 people in a room. And he basically said, if I didn't talk to you five minutes before you are fired. Yeah. Sorry. <laughs> so Rick and I are sitting in this room where everyone else gets fired. Yep. That was and, not comfortable. And we did not know what to do. Do you remember that? Yeah. I just remember looking around and like our, all of our bosses got fired and people started crying and I'm just like, and then. And someone, then like someone, I felt terrible because it's like, well, why did I survive this? Right. Yeah. <laughs> and so finally, I think, I think the founder was like, get up, Rick, leave Tyler, Tyler, leave, you know, like, please, please collect yourself. I'll talk to you later. Yeah. So um, that, you know, we, we dropped 90% of our people that day. Um, anyway, the founder had started uh, another company at the time that was taking some of his time. And he also uh, basically was like, there's six months cash flow. Uh, you have six months to turn this thing around and make it work or we're going to run the company through bankruptcy. So it basically says something like that. Mm -hmm. And you and I had, uh, worked a lot together and the business wasn't working the way it was set up. So yeah, we, it, it had some customers, but it wasn't like a flop, but it wasn't going to sustain itself. Right? No, no. And so we actually, we, we came up with a plan to pivot the business. We actually got to cash flow positive in three months. You and I mostly were doing most of the work, mm -hmm. um, to do that. You on the technical side and then me on the, the sales and marketing side. And, uh, that was, you know, that was great. Um, you left, uh, about a year later, I think yeah. to start less annoying CRM. And I became the effective leader of the, uh, you know, the CEO of, of Zane benefits and, um, bootstrapped it to about 4 million plus in annual revenue and about 2000 in 2013, 2014 timeframe. And, uh, learned a ton about how to lead, how to deal with the board. Cause, because I was not, um, a founder and there was also a lot of money that had come in previously the the founder didn't control the company there was a a board of directors that had um control and so i had to i learned how to work with some really powerful personalities mm -hmm. um, and get them aligned on some things well and we're going to talk later about you know your philosophy and what mm -hmm. makes you different but like in, in previous podcast episodes you've referenced you're starting something now and you want to maintain total control i mean at some point you may raise money but I assume that was somewhat informed by your experience of trying to run a business while having very little control over it. Yeah. And I would say when things are going well, it's fine. So from 2009, 2010, when you left to 2014, we grew 160% a year. We were, we were at 4 million growing 60% a year, which wow. was making everyone happy. And we did that without raising any money, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. um, after the blow up. And so uh, things were going well. Uh, what ended up happening was in uh, 2000. 13 September the 13th Friday I remember <laughs> it like it was yesterday the IRS put out a notice that was pretty aggressive and aggressive and shady but inconclusive and made gave ammo we were disrupting a big industry um, of insurance of, of health insurance uh, and when that notice came out the whole in industry just went after us big time and said what we were doing was illegal, yeah. even though it wasn't. And so this started even when I was there, various people tried to say that our product was illegal because of various nonsense reasons. And at that point, the IRS had said what they said probably was not correct, but they gave people a little more 
like reason to believe that that fear. Right? They wrote in a way that a, a normal person would interpret it as that's illegal, but they never said it was illegal. <laughs> Does that make sense? There's like yeah. 13 pages of gobbledygook legalese <laughs> that I could read and go, oh, they're saying this, but that doesn't mean it's illegal. Um, but trying to explain that to people, it really, um, it really put the business in a situation where it was a one trick pony. And we were either going to win this battle or not. Yeah. And it's worth pointing out when we say illegal, it's not like, you know, we're tra trafficking drugs or something. This is can small businesses receive the tax benefits offering health insurances that that, that big businesses do. Basically, this is right? basically, you know, can um, is is something deductible uh, and excludable on a tax regardless of who who pays it, yeah. um, you know, whether the company pays it directly or whether the company reimburses it. And uh I am 100% right that this was legal. Because it's, it <laughs> it's a legal. thing now, right? It's legal, yeah. And so uh, you know, that, what, what ended up happening, though, was we, got to, we were growing like crazy in 2013. We ended up hitting a growth wall. We had to move the company from Park City to Murray. That was really freaking hard. We turned over half the company uh, because people didn't want to move to, to and Murray. that's what a 30 minute drive between the two like about a 45 45 yeah. so it's not like you moved them across the country and still you lost half the company yeah yeah and that's just that was the, the mentality was that and then plus we had th you know that legal notice came out scared everyone uh they thought the company everyone thought the company was going to fail so um after that we pivoted we had to pivot again um and i realized i went to the board and i basically said listen this this um this business is a one-trick pony it's going to succeed or fail on this legal issue. Um, I have some ideas on how we could diversify the business and uh, ended up convincing the board and existing investors plus a new investor here in uh, Salt Lake City to invest um, money into the company to build a new platform, a new brand, a new mm -hmm. product that would have multiple points of failure. Um, and specifically, we were in the health insurance business, specifically with, with Zane Benefits. This new business would tackle a similar problem in all types of benefits, health, retirement, cell phone, mm -hmm. that sort of thing. So let me back up for a second. You were effectively operating as a CEO since the day after the layoffs. How did your official role and kind of power at the company evolve over time? Um, I wouldn't say the power really changed at all. It was, I was always, um, I would say, I, I don't want to sound pompous here, but I was always the person who was instigating the, the, the direction. Mm -hmm. Um, and, and, you know, I think you were number two in that. Um, I would not have been able to do it without you implementing a lot of the, and, and, and make improving a lot of the ideas I was coming mm -hmm. up with, but, but neither of us had any official power in terms of ownership or title or anything like that. Yeah, so how did that change? I would say we did. We, 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 Paul, the founder gave us responsibility and, and the, the, the power to make decisions. Mm -hmm. Um, the only, where that, where that came to its limits was dealing with the board of directors on things that need to be approved, like budget compensation, those sorts of things. So, um, I, I don't know if I'm answering your question. Well, what I really mean is like, when did you become the CEO? Oh, when did I become a CEO? Technically like in, I was offered the job, uh, president is the official term okay. for our board of directors. So there's a CEO, it really doesn't mean anything in terms of corporate governance, but usually there's a president of the organization who is appointed by the, uh, the board. Okay. Um, there's a secretary, that sort of thing. The president who is, is who has the, the power. And so I was offered the position of president, um, in 2009, actually, I think. Okay. So yeah. pretty quickly. Yeah. And I declined it, um, because I, I, I was fine to like take the responsibility, but I didn't want my title to be, uh, president because 
I didn't want people to think I was the president of the company because I was dealing with some really big companies. I was dealing with United Healthcare. I was dealing with paychecks. Uh. <laughs> I was dealing with people who were like 10 years, 20 years, 30 years, my senior. And the last thing I wanted was them to think I was running this thing. I wanted to be able to point, actually, like I said, like Paul's, the, I, I, like, yeah. I used Paul big time. I was like, <laughs> Paul's the CEO. Like, let me run it by him. <laughs> and then I'd call him and be like, Hey Paul, just how you doing? I got to run this by you so that you give me a decision. I know what you're going to say. All right. Yep. All right. <laughs> but well, it was, it was, it was kind of a, of a facade. Um, to, okay. So you, you got power pretty quickly mm-hmm. and then, sorry, kind of diverted us there, but so you were making this pivot from Zane Benefits, which was this company that, you know, the IRS notice had come out, people were leaving and kind of moving into this new brand, right? Yep. Yep. And just to give you an idea of how hard Zane Benefits was, um, we were getting cease and desist letters from departments of insurance. Uh, we actually got a, uh, we got investigated by the Department of Labor um, while I was there, and we won that issue. We resolved it. Um, that took three years. So that's our that issue started around 2014, 2015, and ended in 2018. Um, and then, uh, so anyway, I raised the money from 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 the group. Uh, the hypothesis was one, Zane Benefits will succeed potentially, mm-hmm. and then two, and, and and this will be legalized. Or two, we'll be we'll have us another business to pivot to with people keep if it doesn't. Um, everything took a shit ton longer than I thought. Um, I did not understand how cap tables worked at the time. I did not understand how hard it was to recruit talent when you don't have an option pool. So I raised a lot of I raised a couple million, like three million dollars over six months, um, and none of those raises actually expanded the option pool. So I learned all about this, and <laughs> I realized like I wasn't I didn't know enough of the company. Uh, I realized a lot of people didn't know enough of the company and um, ended up uh, causing a lot of uh, distress at the board level in terms of getting alignment on the long term. Mm-hmm. Um, I uh, Because I had raised the money, I felt obligated to stick around and get it to a point where I could, I could uh, hand it off to someone or we could fix the issue by Brent raising more capital. So I worked really hard from 2015 to 2019. I hired a new CTO who built out a really great technical team, built the new product, got it to about 120K in MRR. Uh, it took way too long to build a product, about 18 months. 18 months after that, we launched, uh, we got to 120K in MRR. And, uh, and, and now, you know, the, and then just recently in 2018, we got, uh, 2016, we got a bill passed and signed into law by Obama that legalized, uh, it, and then Trump just put out a notice an executive order uh, further legalizing uh, what we were for the further clarifying that what we were doing was illegal was legal legal yeah and uh and so the company i got the company to where it had survived uh through that legal challenge and then had a new platform and brand now called people keep yeah and uh i let i got fired uh <laughs> in october in october 2018 so last year uh as a result of um you know, the, the, the truth is we couldn't get aligned on compensation. Yeah. So you, you weren't fired so much as the, you know, what you needed to stay wasn't what they were willing. Like it, it we, seems we, somewhat mutual. Yeah. Right? We, 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 we worked together for six months trying to figure something out. Um, I was, you know, I went back and forth between whether I was going to be able to accept it and not. And I, you know, ultimately they made the right decision, which was, uh, we need to go hire someone else yeah. with a different set of compensation to fit what we want to go do. Right. Um, I was prepared for that. Um, so it wasn't actually a big deal for me. I was like, I think the, the, the board, when they let, they broke the news, they were scared of what I would do. Um, <laughs> and, uh, 
because there was a lot of tense moments at the at the board meetings right. and 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 uh, the relationships were it was hard, right? Mm-hmm. So we, you know, and so there wasn't um, wasn't the best situation. But um, we, uh, I, I ended up getting fired. Um, I drove home. I was fine. I was like, wow. And then I woke up the next day. I got married the next week. This is a week before my wedding. Yeah. <laughs> I hadn't pieced that together. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. And uh, so got married, went on the honeymoon, came back. What I was not prepared for was how much of my life and my routines were built around people keep. Yeah. Like everything from when I woke up to when I ate breakfast mm. to when I took a shit, like everything revolved around people keep. And I woke up one morning, I was like, I don't know what to do. Yeah. I don't know what to do. So we were talking about this earlier today at lunch. You kind of were saying going forward, you're probably going to have, you're going to be focused on something, but you always want to have one or two other things going on. Is that one of you, is that a lesson you learned being too bought into people keep? Yeah. So I was definitely, um, I think I would say that with Zane benefits, I had other things going on, on the side. I wrote a book that got published by Wiley. I did some consulting. I was playing around with things on the side that I was interested in. Um, I wasn't all in, mm-hmm. but once I raised venture capital and I felt the pressure of that, I was all in. And so I, I said no to everything I did. If it wasn't related to people keep, I did not talk to anyone. Do you think you have to be all in like that if you raise venture capital or do you think you could do it again, knowing what you know now, raise the money, but have, have more balance? Yeah. I think it's all about expectations that you're setting and and boundaries. And I think I didn't realize how important it was to set boundaries at work. And, it's like uh, insanely windy outside right now. Yeah. It is. It's kind of scary. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, so yeah, I, uh, I would say that if I were to go do it again, I, I think it's important not to be so all in mm-hmm. that if it was taking away from you, you wouldn't know what to do. <laughs> yeah. No. And I can, it, it's interesting hearing you say that. Cause yeah, if, if I woke up and even if I'm on vacation, you know, checking Slack and email in the morning, what do you just wake up and look at the wall? What do you even do? <laughs> yeah. It's, I mean, I think what you don't realize what, like I, the only way I can just, just describe it is that, for you, if you own a company or you run a company, just imagine waking up the next day and not being able to do anything related to it. Yeah. I was not allowed to talk. I didn't want to talk to employees. It was inappropriate for me to talk to employees. I, I couldn't call the board. I couldn't talk to customers. Yeah. Couldn't write a blog post. Hmm. Nothing. So, okay. That is a, a really, like, I think, interesting roller coaster ride up to early 2019. Now, when you start these podcast episodes, you say, hi, I'm Rick. I'm founder of Leg Up Ventures and so on. Talk a little bit about what what you're planning going forward. Yeah. And I, there's some context there. I had no idea what I wanted to do for about, I took, when you, when you go through a big change like this, there are really two options you can take. You can jump right into something else, mm-hmm. or you can take time to let your body and mind heal itself. And, and truly reflect. It took me about six months from October to March to really get to a place where I was, I'm ready to go do something. Yeah. And then even since March to now, it's what it's a uh, September. I'm just now getting to the point where I'm excited about what I'm doing. So it, there was a lot, big journey of me figuring out what I want to do next. And I ultimately decided that, um, I should start another company. I should start a company of my own. Um, I, if I, I miss people keep very much now. I miss having what you have, uh, something you care about, but I don't miss not being able to run it the way, not, not having full control and, and being able to run it the way I think 
it should be run. Yeah. And so I, uh, I, my goal is really to, uh, I've started leg up ventures, which is a holding company for, I kind of think of it as an incubator for my ideas. Um, I might buy a cup, a company, but I won't buy it unless I, I, I get, I get reached out to every week with people saying, can you, I want to raise seed capital. Do you provide seed capital? It's like, mm-hmm. no, that's not what we do. What we do is we own and operate companies. So, um, I've started a couple things. Um, I, my hypothesis is that if I can start three things, keep three things going at the same time. And then when something, you know, fails, which I think will happen 66% of the time. So every three things I start two will fail. Um, I can just recycle and start something else. I'm going to find something that gets to a point of, Hey, this is real. And maybe I can double down, triple down on that. Okay. So the, the, the idea isn't to split time evenly between three things. It's to place as many bets as you can. And then when one of them's working out, go back to kind of people keep mode to some extent, but you're in control this time. Yeah. And I would say never to people keep mode. I would say to, uh, to primary focus mode. Yeah. Uh, you know, I think that um, the way I'm structuring my time with the ventures I have right now, one is this podcast, one is uh, a company called Group Current, and another is uh, personal writing and consulting. Um, the way I'm structuring my time right now is Group Current's about 50% of my time. Uh, consulting and writing is about 40% of my time, and Startup to Last is about 10% of my time. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, you know, I, you know I'm, also, I'm also spend some, I guess there's some, some of that time that's going towards what's my next idea of one of these things. I ultimately want to drop consulting and yeah. writing. Um, I will always want to write, but I would like to write for my companies, not for. Yeah. You, you want to sell a product, not a service. Mm-hmm. Right? Yeah. 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 So, um, but yeah, that's what I got going on. Uh, group current, just talk about that. Start up to last. We've, you know, we've talked about that. That's this podcast. Uh, group current is a company that's based in park city that um, is focused on, member-based organizations or communities. And we are building, uh, working on building community management software. And we also have a professional service that we provide. Our primary client that you'll hear a lot about on this podcast is as Panel Labs, which is Park City's entrepreneurial community. Um, and so we, we manage that. And we also have proprietary software that we manage it as the directors of the organization, but we also you have proprietary software that manage, that Panel Labs uses to manage its members. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, uh, on the writing and consulting side, I do a lot at ricklinquist.com where uh, I write, I don't say I write a lot of content, but I write, when I do write content, I, I try to make it really, really short and powerful. Um, and I'm working on a book right now uh, that is focused on some of the learnings that I had while I was at People Keep Around Leadership and Emotions. Cool. So book, blogging, podcast, group current with Pando Labs. And learning to code. Oh yeah, that's another. <laughs> so one of the projects, um, one of the things that I really want to do is I want to get. I, I'm not anti venture capital like you. I would say that I'm anti capital pre product market fit, and I would decide product market fit is something that says, hey, this is a real product with real customers that has an opportunity to grow. Yeah, you know, 10x what it is now. And you're against that just because you want leverage when you raise, right? I, I I think that when you when you when you raise before product market fit, you are raising on a hypothesis. Mm-hmm. Okay, and that means that you're going to give a lot of your company up, and you're also going to give up a lot of the control that and the, of getting it to a place where um, you know it needs to be before you can truly scale it. And a lot of these venture capitalists will come in and they'll say. You know, once once you get to once you miss that product market fit mode, you're either you know not interesting to them anymore, and they want they they want to 
the business to turn into an exit or get get turn it you know fail yeah honestly get um, it off the books get it off the books and uh uh you know i don't I, I went through that and i didn't really like that experience um i think that it's really interesting to get a company to a point where you're at private market fit and you have a growth engine and you see an opportunity to invest capital into growth uh so you can do more things i think that's really interesting and you can actually attract that capital at that point in time mm-hmm. and um not give up control of the business cool so Awesome. We've kind of gone through the lemonade stand days to college, to Zane benefits, to people keep, to all these ventures you're on right now. Um, what, what you did when you interviewed me is you asked me, like, what what are some kind of opinions you have or some things people should understand about you so that they can contextualize everything you say on the podcast? What what summary would you give about your own philosophy? Um, I think I, it really comes down to what I like and what I don't like. Um, I really, I'll start with what I like. I I really like um, I like doing things that are fit, like I like the outdoors and physical fitness. And so I'm very, I, I like balance. Um, I think it's important to have, uh, a mental, you know, work, work and, uh, you know, life balance. I don't, I don't know what the right term for that is, but I don't like just being all in, not taking care of yourself. So a healthy, self-care. healthy, self-care, healthy environment. Um, I very much value continuous improvement. I think, um, it's, you know, it gets into intellectual, um, uh, you know, let's just call it, uh, not, I'll talk to you about what I don't like. I really hate, um, lazy people. Mm-hmm. I hate people who are intellectually lazy. Um, I don't hate people's wrong word. I really dislike that. I, I have a hard time working with people who, <clears throat> when asked a question, they're, they're, they, they go, I don't know. <laughs> and they don't go, well, let's talk about it and let's try to figure it out or let me go look it up. I like people who are curious, intellectually curious. Mm-hmm. Um, I, uh, I really don't like bullies. So um, I can, when people are acting like bullies or companies are acting like bullies um, or the government's acting like a bully, I, I react strongly. Your instinct to is to rebel, right? Oh, it's not just rebel, but, but to put, to, to put the bull, to re- make the bully realize that they're a really bad person. <laughs> um, same, at the same time, I really dislike victim, victim playing. So for example, like I'm, you know, people are victims and I agree that especially when a bully's picking on them, that they need help. And I will, I love helping, you know, victims of bullies, but the victim mentality of where it's, I'm a victim, I'm a victim and I'm not going to do anything about it. I really struggle with. So I have a lot, a little less empathy for people who are victims because of, you know, without caring to do anything about it. Um, let's see. I also, I, I generally, like, I'm a very direct person and I speak about the truth. So oftentimes I can come across as a dick um, <laughs> when in reality, I just am talking, trying to talk about something and get to its core. So sometimes that directness can make rub people the wrong way. And that's not my intent. Yeah. So I, if I can editorialize here, because um, I've known you long enough that I've kind of seen a bit of a transition from you. I, I Tell me if you disagree with this, but you talked about work-life balance. You talked about being direct with people. It's, it seems like your instinct was to be a pretty strong-willed direct person and that that we, we had the, I think our second episode or whatever about uh, fear-based decision-making that got you into some trouble that you, you feel an emotional connection with people, but you were expressing yourself in a way that they thought you were like scary almost, right? Um, you, you've said that to me that people been scared of you well i mean you told me you were scared of me one night yeah like, like we were out like i think we were like 
we had a little bit too much to drink and we were <laughs> hanging out in Salt Lake City this a few years ago and you're like, I was talking to you about this. I was still at People Keep and mm. you're like, you are scary. Yeah. <laughs> I think you called me a psychopath that night. No. Yeah. I said you used to be. <laughs> no, but the, the reason I bring this up is not to talk shit about you, but to say for someone listening to the podcast, like one really interesting thing that I am listening for when we talk is you're in the middle, I think, of a transition. Like when you left People Keep, you did a lot of self-reflection. Mm-hmm. I think you softened a lot in a good way and opened yourself up. And like there are a lot of topics like that, even that you just said that you wouldn't, I think, have admitted on a podcast three years ago, probably. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's I don't know. That's something people might listen for is this transition of going from kind of hard ass closed up CEO to a more open, you know, do what's right for you, like not as much of a type A type of leader. Yeah. And I, I would say that I like w- the biggest takeaway from my time at People Keep is that emotion of fear and how powerfully negative it is. So I hate being scared. Um, and I, I think that I, perspective I bring is that when you're when you're scared uh, as a leader and, and I don't ever want to be, I, I try very hard never to let myself be scared as a husband, as a person as uh, as a as a leader now because i think it makes people do really crazy shit yeah and i did really crazy shit because i was scared in the past yeah and it's really hard to intentionally like well catch yourself when you're in a scary situation and not let that affect your behavior and the best way to do that is actually to i think control you know be thoughtful about what you decide to do with with your life yeah yeah i, th- I think so many people find themselves in a situation where they wake up one day and they're like I am in a situation that I did not decide to be in and I don't know how to get out. And that's one of the great things about entrepreneurship and especially bootstrapping or at least bootstrapping your way to product market fit is, yeah, you you can be deliberate about every step of the way. What do you want for yourself? Totally. Totally. Cool. So, yeah, that's my, I would say that's my unique perspective. So um, I'm, I'm a, my goals for long term are really just, uh, I, I haven't, I want to continue to build things. Uh, I really want to figure out, stretch my muscles on coding. So I'll probably... We'll probably have some topics about mm-hmm. as it relates to my journey with coding. And my main goal there is I, I want to avoid bringing on a co-founder until uh, I get to that, you know, that product market fit yeah. spot. Yeah. Awesome. If, if anyone's listening to this, uh, one thing I'd love to know is, do you prefer the business topics? Do you prefer the technical topics? Because we, we could kind of go all over the place here. So I'd, I'd love to hear from people on that. Yeah, that'd be interesting. Um, so uh, with that, I good for the sign off. Yeah, I think so. Well, everyone, thank you for listening. I'm, I don't really like talking about myself, so <laughs> thank you uh, for bearing with me on that. You can join the conversation on this topic and review past topics by visiting startuptolast.com. If you have questions, contact us via the website or on Twitter. Uh, we'd love to hear from you uh, regarding your thoughts, ideas, or if you just want to opine on the conversation. That's startuptolast.com. See you next week.